I'm recalling uh, from previous conversations, you uh, you managed a, a nightclub and maybe did a little stand up comedy. Oh uh, no no, <laughs> so, uh, this I, I I I lived in New York City. I now live in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. I was uh, born in New York, pretty much raised there as well, and uh, I had a bunch of different jobs, but they were all mostly at night. Yes. Uh, the last job I had was running a uh, live uh, music venue bar. But before that, I did work at a uh, comedy club. In fact, um, I knew a lot, I actually hung out with a lot of pretty well-known comics now. And I didn't do stand-up, but I did learn what, like, I do my talks now as if I'm doing stand-up, uh, even my presentations. So I got their form of the way they um, interacted with the crowd um, and their storytelling I got from a bunch of different comics. So yes, I did work at a comedy club, never did stand up. although you could say my, my talks now are like stand-up, so yes. Hello, wildlings. This is Phil Huff with the Friends of Scotch and Peaks Wilderness. As a long-distance hiker, I love talking with others about their hiking experiences, and I'm really excited about the chance I now have to sit down and talk with Derek Lugo, a fellow long-distance hiker and author of The Unlikely Thru-Hiker. The Unlikely Thru-Hiker is the story of a young black man setting off from the city with an extremely overweight pack and a willfully can-do attitude what follows are lessons on preparation, humility, race relations, and nature's wild unpredictability. Through it all, Derek, Mr. Fabulous, refuses to let any challenge squash his inner Pollyanna, persevering with humor, tenacity, and unshakable commitment to grooming that sees him from Georgia to Maine. Find out more about Derek's story on this episode of Your Wild Place. Damplation Trail's over 2,000 miles long. It's a difficult feat to accomplish. Congratulations, uh, both physically and emotionally. Tell us what the most difficult or some of the more difficult parts of it were for you on both fronts. Uh, emotionally, when I walked into it, I walked into it thinking it was going to be a breeze. I'm like, I got this. And then when I got to the approach trail in Georgia, uh, for a moment, I got homesick. I was like, and it, I had like a little pang in my stomach. I was like, oh no, what am I doing? You know, I, it hit me like, you have no experience. Why are you out here? But I had set myself up to just go for five months, five to six months. And I had nowhere else to go. So I was like, let, let me go. I'm just going to go. The hardest thing I would say um, was the beginning of it where I didn't know what to expect. Um, I would hike and I would hear noises and being from the city, they weren't the noises I was used to. Uh, and I didn't know what to expect. So that was a little, it took me a few weeks to get used to that. Uh, hiking in the Smokies was, I have a love hate relationship with the Smokies and I now not live not far from the Smokies. So I want to revisit the mountains and kind of give it another chance because it deserves it. Uh, but waking up in the morning and my hands were freezing 
uh, and trying to like uh, put everything back into my bag and it's raining uh, and my peoples are from the tropics. So we like warm weather and I did not, I, I couldn't. And also going out there and for the first time, you know, going to the bathroom outside was really crazy for me. Um, I would say hiking in cold weather, um, although I didn't, I walked into this knowing that I would do that, but it was still difficult for me. It was one time where I hiked in the snow. Uh, it was a storm in April. Uh, it was another time climbing up mountains were really, really hard for me. Um, now it's, it's easier because I'm kind of used to it and my mindset's a little bit different. I walked into this knowing that I, was, I wasn't going to do good. I wasn't going to do well with mountains, which is something I should have thought of before I decided to through hike because the AT is just up and down, up and down, you know? Um, but for the most part, I would say um, I had a handful of days that were tough, um, but I approached this with a positive attitude because I had so much going against me. So the trick for me is I tricked my mind into thinking, okay, I know I'm, what I'm getting into. Uh, just embrace it, take it all in, and you're going to be fine. I think it's a mental, I know it's a mental um, process as well. There's no way I was able to, I was going to be able to through hike if I didn't have that mindset. I have this, this saying that I, I would say along the trail uh, when I signed the registers, I would end it with peace, love, and all that good stuff uh, for a few reasons. One, I wanted to stay positive. Every time I wrote it, I reminded myself that, that that's what I was about. And then other people would see it. Tough section of the AT was um, Pennsylvania, where it was very rocky, known as Roxylvania. And in registers, hikers would say, I hate this state. I hate it. I can't wait to get out of this. And I would leave something like, hey, man, I'm not happy about these rocks. I lived in Pennsylvania for a while. And, you know, where's the love? You know, like kind of joke around about it and end it with peace, love and all that good stuff. And then people would catch up to me and say, how can you be so positive about Pennsylvania? I'm like, look, I love the AT, you know, and Pennsylvania is part of the AT. You got to show it love. Do you want to be out here miserable the entire time? No. You know, so that was my mindset was always to keep it, keep it positive. Oh, that, that being said, there was times where I was like, okay, this is I, this in Pennsylvania where these bugs were flying into my eyes. They were kamikaze flying into my eyes. I had these rocks that were trying to break my ankles and you look up and it was just a river of rocks. It was like, please, you're crying inside, like, please make it end. But I never thought I was going to get off the trail, never thought that this is awful. I just thought, hey, this is the process that I'm going through. And I knew I was going to, this was going to happen. What made this so unlikely for you? You're, you're, you have said you hadn't hiked before, but delve a little bit more into that and what some of maybe the, the barriers or perceptions of your friends and family were. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't find out later that not a lot, a lot of black people, people of color, Latinos, not a lot of them are out there through hiking. But before that, my family friends were like, dude, you are like the most metrosexual black guy we know in New York City. There's no way you're going to be living out in the woods for five, five to six months. Uh, so the barriers were that one, especially my brother, was so against me doing this. Um, and also not knowing what I was getting into because in our family and my friends, we don't go to the South 
and start hiking in the woods. It's not what we do. We go to like, you know, we go to the beach or, you know, from New York, we go to Central Park or Yankee Stadium or something like that. You know, the woods is not something we want to uh, do. And also, it's not it's not a cheap activity unless you've been doing it since you were a kid uh, and you have gear that has been handed down from father to son or from family to, to, to daughter. It's, it's not something we can actually afford. So that was something where, and in my head, I didn't know this. I just thought, okay, I don't have experience. So that's one reason why I'm unlikely to do a six month hike. I've never even like been in the woods, never camped out, never pitched a tent, never climbed a mountain ever before. And so I started uh, my third hike. Uh, and then going into my hike, finding out not because I saw it, but because hikers were so, they were so grateful that I was on a trail and they let me know that, Hey man, there's not, it, they would come up to me and go, yo, we're so glad you're out here on the trail. I'm like, Oh, well, I'm glad you're out here on a trail too. You know, and not realizing what they were saying, but they were, it wasn't, it wasn't coming across as if they were like, what are you doing out here on a trail? It was like, Hey man, we really dig that you're out here and, uh, we want to, we want to help you as much as we can. When they saw that I needed help. And that was another thing about, um, the AT and I'm taking this answer all over the place. But the one thing when I walked into it, not realizing that it's a community of hikers and that there's no judgment there. So when I started a trail and didn't have any experience, they weren't looking at me and saying, hey, man, why are you out here? No, they were helping me. On my first day, the first chapter in my book is called Lessons at Springer Mountain, or one of the first chapters. Uh, and I learned how to pitch my tent that day, how to use my, my outdoor mini stove, how to hang a bear bag, how to use my water filter. So it, it, they, they taught me how to use that. But then they may have thought, they may have been thinking like, hey, you know, this dude, he's not going to make it. And in fact, a month later I saw a hiker and he was like, Whoa, you're still on a trail. Wow. That's, that's amazing. But, uh, in the beginning it was that I didn't have any experience, but it didn't cross my mind. Cause I, my entire life, I would jump into things. On the Appalachian Trail, on many long-distance trails, uh, hikers adopt a trail name or they're given a trail name. Uh, tell us about yours. Uh, so my trail name is Mr. Fabulous, and I didn't name myself. Um, but, and the reason why I got that was because I went into this not, not like your average hiker, and I've heard stories of hikers going weeks without bathing. Um, and my thing was like, look, I'm not going to be out there. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be out there if I can't shave and, and give myself bird baths. So I was determined that every night I would go to the water source and grab my bandana and maybe give myself like a bird bath or I had wipes. So I would make sure I would stay nice and groomed. And I would joke around about, wishing I had like a full length mirror in my backpack so I can pull it out and shave. That was another thing that I wanted to say groomed hikers are known for their beards. And I always had like a nice shaved face. I had maybe like a, like a goatee or mustache. Uh, but I always wanted to stay, stay fresh. And my friend joking around about me being like the most metrosexual, uh, uh person they know, uh, was real. It was a real thing. <clears throat> and now, now after my through hike, a little less, 
but in the beginning, it was all about me doing it my way and staying, uh, just staying fresh and clean. That was my thing. And uh, there was a hiker that was, yo, you're, you're a Mr. Fabulous. And I was like, no, no, there's, there's no way you're going to call. I'm going to go around calling myself Mr. Fabulous because that's, you know, that's kind of egocentral, centric. Like I couldn't go around saying, hey, hi there, I'm Mr. Fabulous. It just, it didn't sound right for me. And especially with my personality and I, I, I get along with people and I love, and it, my whole thing is like, what are they going to think about me if I went around saying I'm Mr. Fabulous? That was my, my mindset was, okay, they're going to think that I'm full of myself. And I can't do this. I can't go around calling myself Mr. Fabulous. And he was like, dude, just try it for, you know, for a few days and see what, see what happens. Um, and I can go into why, how I kept it, but I tried it for a while. I tried using Mr. Fabulous. And the reaction that I thought I was going to get was, look at this guy, you know, going around saying he's Mr. Fabulous. I thought people were going to judge me and say, get out of here, man. We don't want to hear that. But it was the opposite. People were, they smiled, they were laughing at it. They were like, oh, wow, how did you get that name? It had a story. And my thing was I wanted a trail name with a story. People tried to call me New York, Rasta, Marley. And I was like, mm, it's just, I don't know about that. Uh, and with Mr. Fabulous, after using it for a while, I realized that it wasn't just about me. It was about the reaction that people were getting from the way, uh, from hearing my story. Uh, Cause they wanted to know right away. Okay. What makes you Mr. Fabulous, you know? And I just, I just felt that um, I wanted something that had a story and I, and I stuck with it. Uh, and then, but the, the one story I can tell you right now that actually um, sealed the deal where I was like, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm Mr. Fabulous was the first week I'm hiking with that name. I'm hiking by myself. I see an older, um, it's an older group of high day hikers. I'm going northbound and going south. And I step aside. They're like congratulating me and, and wishing me luck from, uh, for my through hike. And uh, the last person, she, she must have been like in her hundreds. She may have been old, older than the Appalachian Trail. She had a cane. She had someone helping her. You know, she had like a little aid. And she was small. So she came up to me. She looked up and she was, she was like, What's your, uh, what's your trail name? Cause she heard people saying that I was through hiking. Uh, and I go, ma'am, they call me Mr. Fabulous. And she, without missing a beat, she goes, oh my God, I've been waiting for Mr. Fabulous my entire life. And she just like <laughs> looked up, gave me a kiss on my cheek and just kind of like with a little, with a little pep in her step. And she grabbed a cane, was almost like twirling it. Like the aide was behind her, like chasing after her. Like, and I was like, wow, this is, this is really special. If I try not to think too deeply about the name and think, just think about the reaction that, that I was getting from people and I decided I'm going to use it. Uh, and to this day, when people say Mr. Fabulous, they can't say it without a smile. And I love that. Um, so Derek, you're a natural storyteller. This is probably a good point to um, ask you to read something for the book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's see, let me find, here's one that I'm, I feel good sharing because um, this is what we were talking about reactions that I was getting from um, my family and friends when I told them that I was going to uh, hike the Appalachian Trail. So this is my friend Nina and she was the first person I told I was going to hike the AT. So um, this is her response. Okay, why would you want to do that? She says frowning. 
what? Because I can, because I've never done anything like this before. I say, is she messing with me? It's an adventure, something I've wanted to do for a while. You've never mentioned it before. She shoots back as if catching me in a lie. I'm sure I did. Look, that's not the point. I'm a hike. What are you going to eat? Will you have cell service so you can order food? Do they deliver out there? She barrages me with questions, ignoring my efforts to explain. I will bring, I will bring a cell for when I'm in town resupplying and if there's an emergency. I'll be on top of mountains, which I think will be outside of delivery and maybe cell service. I say, not truthfully knowing the answer. Hmm, I don't know about this. How long will it take you? She asks, unable to grasp, grasp the thought of me doing something so out of character. I'm going to try to do it in five months, I say proudly. You're going to live in the mountains for five months, she repeats, squinting her eyes at me as if I were too far away for her to see. Before I can answer, she can, continues. Listen, pretty boy, I know you. You're the most well-groomed metrosexual black man in New York City. You in the woods without your mirror and your beauty product, products or your designer clothes, please. How will you shower? Wait, I don't have beauty products. Okay, maybe lotions. What about manicures? Hmm, okay, I get manicures once in a while. What about, okay, okay, I get it, I say, wanting to finally get my point across before she convinces me I'm, I'm too meticulous about my appearance to live out in the woods. That was one response I got from my friends. My mom was, my mom was funny because uh, my brother, I can tell you this story. My brother was big on um, wanting me to have a weapon. He was like, dude, take a machete with you. There's like, might be rednecks down there, bears. You never know what's going to be down there. You know, the movie Deliverance was always something that popped up in, uh, from my family and my friends. And he was like, you can get small ones strapped to your chest and, you, you know, you can go. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to take any weapons with me because, again, first of all, I'm going to stick out like a, like a sore thumb already. I don't know what I'm doing. And to have a weapon, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to look threatening or anything like that. So I ended up taking like a little baby, like pocket knife that couldn't do anything. It would probably tickle somebody if I tried to use it. Great. Um, let's talk a little bit for uh, a while about some common experiences all hikers share or seem to, and, and you're, your experience with them, I'm thinking here like trail magic and trail family and, uh, and some of the hardships. Trail magic was something that I couldn't wrap my mind around. I, I couldn't understand why strangers would leave food, water, soda, snacks on trailheads or just have tables by like the end of the trail and just like give people food. I didn't understand what that was about. Um, being from New York City, if we saw food on the on the ground, we just step right over it. It's not how we roll. So it took me a while to get used to people just giving me that um, and understanding that trail magic didn't just come from food, but also rides into town, which was huge when we wanted to resupply. Uh, when I wanted to, me myself wanted to bathe, I would get a ride and people would take us to their home and let us stay there, shower, maybe pitch a tent in their backyard or if they had the extra room. That was the biggest, for me, the biggest trail magic was always when I needed it. I wouldn't go, if I had food in my backpack, I wouldn't take anything that was left that I didn't need. Um, I never expected trail magic, which I think a lot of through hikers feel the same. It's not 
that you deserve it. It's, it's a gift. And you, if you get it, it's something, um, that you should be grateful for. I, I made a point to, um, every time I met a trail angel, which trail angels are people that give trail magic. Um, I would take a picture with them and get to know them. Um, one thing after a while, I st- once I got used to trail magic, what it was about and what it represented and how it helped us, I went, I, felt a little guilty about, about taking it and not giving back. And I wasn't sure what I could give back because I don't have, you know, I just have my backpack with the things I'm, I'm living in for six, living with for six months. I didn't have money, much money anyway, just enough to through hike. So what I have is what I love to do is storytelling. So I would share my story. And a lot of times they wanted to know a lot about our through hike. They do it because they love hiking, they love through hikers and they want to hear our story. So if I'm hiking, there was, there was one time when I was going into Harper's Ferry, I couldn't wait because I was going to stay there for the weekend, do, do a zero, zero was a day of not hiking. And I was storming. I was just like storming into town. And it was a, fa- a young family, the side of the trail, and they were just resting. They were doing a day hike and they saw me and they were like, I just passed them and they were like, hey, are you doing through hike? And I really wanted to go into town. And I was like, nah, let me stop. Backtrack. And, and just started sharing my story with them. The little kid, they had their son um, saw my poles. And I kind of I kind of like made them smaller for him. And he was walking around acting like he was a through hiker. So um, I feel responsible. I felt a responsibility to share my story because that's how I was giving back. That was my trail magic to them. And then now... That I'm off the trail, I feel like I have a responsibility because this is an amazing thing that happened to me. And I love sharing it. And before I wrote my book, I was going around telling stories, uh, doing talks. And that's why I got published because of these stories I have. So now I feel a responsibility to share that. So that's my trail magic away from, from the Appalachian Trail. Nice. Tell us about uh, becoming part of a trail family. Uh, <laughs> Tell us, what that, tell us what that means and what it means to you. That's something that I didn't expect. I started my through hike alone. But when you start in March around, uh, around spring, there's a lot of hikers that start. And then a month later, it thins out. Weeks, weeks go and it starts thinning, thinning out. Within a week, I started hiking with a bunch of hikers. And I think the way I like to describe it is, when you meet a stranger anywhere, restaurant, bar, wherever, um, you, there's an icebreaker that you need, you know, like what's the iceberg that I get you guys going, get you guys uh, starting in a conversation. Uh, but we have that already. Through hikers, there's no icebreaker is we're doing this activity called a through hike. And within a day, you're close friends. Two days, you're best friends. Within a week, if you're still together, you're family. And it was something that I did not expect. When I, when I tell you this, I just thought I was going to hike from Georgia to Maine. That was it. I was just going to march on. Didn't realize that it was going to be more than that, that it was going to be, I was going to be part of this uh, hiking community. And it's a family. It's, you're doing something for six months and you're away from the quote unquote uh, real life. And there's no judgment. There's no judgment on trail. I mentioned this before, no judgment. And you can be yourself. You're yourself. No one's trying to tell you how to do your hike. Um, you're doing your own hike. And uh, there's a closeness that happens instantly. 
It's uh, something that um, I always say when I'm on a trail, I'm able to complete my thoughts because uh, in New York City, I have so many different distractions. Those distractions are gone, you know? And what do you have? You have yourself on a trail and the people you're around. And it's so easy to get close to people on the trail, um, whether you're hiking with them for a while or just meet them in camp every day because uh, everyone has their own, their own uh, speed. Uh, and sometimes you can hike with people, sometimes you don't. Uh, and you can't help but get close to people. It's just, it just happens. You also met uh, a canine companion. Tell us about that. Oh, uh, yeah. You're going to make me tear up. <laughs> <laughs> so I was hiking. At this point of my hike, I was hiking by myself. It was maybe three months into it. And I found myself hiking by myself for about a week or two. And uh, I found there was a dog that was just hanging around the shelter. And people tried, it was hikers that were trying to put a leash on them and try to like take them, take them, take the dog with them so they can take them to its owner or something. And he wouldn't do it. So they all left and I'm always the last person to leave camp. And he was just around. Uh, at first I thought he was a wild dog that kind of spooked me. And then I realized he was just a stray dog. He was obviously he was lost. I gave him some of the, my food I had and he just started hanging out with me. And for a week and a half, we hiked together. And I told myself not to get attached to the dog because I wanted to find his owner. I, I, in my mind, I thought the owner was freaking out because the dog was lost. He was, he was small. He, was, he must have been a few months old. Um, but there was a number on his collar. So I called the number, reached out to the owner. And I met the owner like two days later and gave him the dog. But I ended up giving the dog a name, Magic, and he would respond to it. And I gave him Magic because he was really good at getting trail magic. We would go to, uh, uh, we would hit a trailhead and there would be people around and he would just act like the puppy and let him, you know, let people pet him. And they were like, oh, here you go, eat water, take this and that. And they would give me, and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> you're definitely really good at, at getting trail magic. So I named him Magic and uh, we got really close. Uh, he would stay, he would sleep just in my vestibule or right outside of my tent. And he would growl if anything got close to us. And he was just, he was my hiking partner until I had to, return them. And in the book, uh, the chapter is called magic. And when I was writing that chapter, it was hard for me not to start tearing up. And every time I went back to it, to revise it, uh, my eyes were well up. It's a sad chapter to this day. I can't read it without, you know, feeling really hurt, uh, because I miss them. Um, I wish one of my biggest regrets on the AT was, uh, not keeping them. Uh, there's many reasons for that. The owner didn't seem to be thrilled to have him back. And, uh, but I felt the responsibility to, to give this, 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 this animal back to uh, his owner. So, um, but that two days, two and a half days we had together, was one of the best days I've, I've had to this day. I still want a puppy, uh, a hiking camp companion. And within a week I'm going to, I'm going to have a puppy. So, um, because of him. Excellent. Um, your book, let's talk a little bit more about it. Uh, you, you've brought up, uh, some of the, 
uh, emotional aspects of the hike. And uh, you've mentioned reading Bill Bryson's book, well, very funny book and insightful. Uh, was what were your inspirations for writing the book, and and particularly the style you wrote it in? It's mm-hmm. a, it's a very it's a very funny book, and yet it is one that brings the reader very close to the emotional substance of the trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I the reason why I decided to write this book, and I didn't go into my through hike because um, I wanted a book out of it, um, but I would say halfway through my hike, um, people made it a point to tell me that there wasn't a lot of black people on the trail. You know, just being happy that I was out there. Also, when I told them my story about not having the experience and being from New York City, and I love, again, I love telling stories. People are like, you gotta write this down. And I kept a journal along the way. And I've written a bunch of short stories, manuscripts in the past, but this was the first one that I felt the need to share. I felt the need to, uh, I have a lot of work that not a lot of people have read. And this was the one that I felt like people had to read, even if it was a handful of people, it didn't need to be a lot. Um, the style came from uh, a combination of things. I knew I wanted, to be, wanted it to be light and humorous and reading Bill Bryson's book. That's exactly what it, it was. It was humorous. But the one thing I wanted to be different from his was that he doesn't draw a pretty picture of the AT. He's kind of hard on the AT. And I didn't like that part of it. A lot of through hikers didn't like the way he just talked about the AT, although they thought it was still um, hilarious. And when I through hiked, uh, Bill Bryson's book was one of the books that people would read to prepare themselves for the AT. Um, and I'm hearing now people are reading the unlikely through hiker because of it now, uh, because they're preparing for their through hike, which I'm, I'm humbled by it. Uh, so I want it to be light, humorous, uh, positive about the AT. And the style comes from two writers that I admire, uh, David Sedaris and Augustine Burroughs, who, who wrote uh, Running With Scissors. Uh, they write chapters that are stories within the entire story. So I wanted each chapter to have its own story. So if you grab the chapter and t- you read the magic chapter, you're not missing much of the outside. That's one great story. It's still part of the bigger story, but I wanted the chapters to be kind of short, not too long, because I love short chapters, because then it makes me feel like I'm progressing in the book when I'm reading a book. I'm like, oh, I just finished a chapter. So I wanted it to be short story, humorous short stories. I definitely wanted it to be funny. In fact, when I wrote my manuscript, each chapter had to have at least three light points or humorous points. And I don't know if I hit all of it, but I knew if I didn't have at least one humorous point, I had to go back and do that. Um, I didn't want anything heavy. I didn't want to talk about just, uh, I, I ate ramen for dinner. You know, it was, it was, I didn't want it to be like a journal, although it may be like a journal at points, but I didn't want it to be like, okay, I woke up this morning, it was raining. Then I hiked 10 miles. Like, no, it needed to have some meat in it. I'm a vegan, but I'm going to say meat <laughs> um, in it where there was a story, each chapter. And I, I read, I may have read or heard an author say this, the, the way you can tell a good writer from not that great of a writer is when they can make the mundane sound interesting. And I made a point of even the little things that weren't really great, I made it sound interesting by putting some humorous parts into it. So um, that was, that's my style. It's always been my style, especially going into this, my style has, has grown 
because of it. Uh, as a as a through hiker, the end is always a mixture of emotions, which I think isn't something people expect. They expect you to feel elated, but but it, it does come with this range of uh, experiences. Tell us about your experience on uh, reaching Katahdin. My my day my my days every day was well, I didn't make it easy. I, it was always something with me. And I think a part of me wanted to change my way of um, the way I hiked every day. Um, so normally when you hike Katahdin, everyone leaves their pack and they'll take a day pack with them, just their snacks and water and stuff. I felt the need to take my pack with everything because it, I, I never slack packed. I never took shortcuts. Uh, yellow blaze, which is when you get a ride from one end of the trail to another. I did every part of it. I keep saying I'm not a purist, but I did every part of the AT. And my backpack was with me and my trekking poles. And one, uh, one of the hikers convinced me to leave my poles. So I was like, okay, I'll leave my poles and bring my pack, which was pretty empty. Didn't have food or anything. So it was pretty light. A mile into my hike to Katad and I decided I wanted my poles <laughs> and I decided to backtrack, get my poles and then go and start my hike. So I ended up hiking by myself instead of with the group I, I started with, which is great uh, because I was, I was able to um, kind of think about my through hike, go back and reminisce about kind of, there was a show called Survivor. Um, I don't know if it's still on, but I remember at the end, whenever they had like two or three hikers, they would do kind of a hike and they would kind of reminisce and have clips of like past hikers that didn't make it and stuff like that. And I thought about hikers that were on a trail during a time in the beginning and weren't there anymore. And then the hikers that I thought I was going to finish with and the group I was with at one point for like a month and they weren't around or we sep somehow separated. Uh, so I was really just taking everything in because uh, I knew it was going to be my last hike, my last meaningful hike, because you also have to hike back down. Uh, but so being alone and thinking about being able to think about what I was doing from New York City, actually finishing through hike, finding out that I, I was the only black person that season to do it. Uh, it was a combination of emotions. I would say I was excited to finish it, but I was even more excited to actually start writing about it because it took me six months to through hike, but I, I feel like for two years I was through hiking because I kept reliving it through my writing. So I had something to look forward to. I think it may have been different if I didn't have that. I know when I got to, I'm getting the chills, but when I saw that, that dirty, worn out sign, um, it was like seeing <sighs> for hikers, that's all you think of every day is that sign. And you finally see it and it's there in front of you and you just break down and start crying. I was just bawling, ugly, ugly crying, just like bawling. And, uh, there was someone that was filming a documentary and caught my ugly tears, uh, but it was great because then hikers that were there already were like, hey, there's Mr. Fabulous, there's Fab. And they kind of cheering me on. And they stepped away from the sign and let me have the sign to myself. So, again, it was a combination of being sad it was over, uh, excited about what was to come, 
and just being relieved that I, I did it and was able to do something so special. Thank you. Your, your book touches on many themes that are timeless uh, it, and many that are uh, not unique amongst the true hiking community that are shared, but there are some that are unique and to your experience. And there are some that seem perhaps more relevant today than even when you released the book a year ago. Uh, do you feel comfortable going into that a bit? I'm a hundred percent. I think you're the, the, the direction of the question is more of uh, me being the only black person on the trail. I think uh, I wrote this, I, I through hiked in 2012. I, I started writing it at the end of that year and then um, kind of set it aside. It, the book came out in 20, last year, 2019. My, I think with my public, I know with my publisher and with my talks, and the reason why I've done a lot of talks uh, before I wrote was that all these hiking organizations want to be inclusive, want to diversify the trail. And I know they were, they saw me as a black person who loved the trail and had a voice. I know they were, they were like, all right, let's use this dude because he has a voice. Um, let's share his story. And I took that and ran with it because I wanted to reach more people. I wanted to reach that little Derek had never heard about the Appalachian Trail, no matter what color, you know, like it just wanted some people that didn't know anything about the trail or wanted to do something out of the ordinary uh, and feel like they could do it. And the book was always about striving for something better, doing something out of the ordinary, stepping out of your comfort zone. And it, all I had to do, I have a friend here, uh, you guys, you may know her, Jennifer Farr Davis. She told me, she gave me one of the best advice um, she said, you don't have to tell people you're a black hiker. You don't have to tell them you're black. Just share your story. You share your story, everything will fall into place. And she was very supportive about, even before my book came out, about my talks. One of my first talks was with her in D.C. Um, because she, kind of, she did the same thing I did, where she threw hyped uh, when there wasn't a lot of women doing it. And then when she finished, she felt the need to write about it and share her story uh, do talks. And then they saw she was doing, she was doing all these talks and they're like, all right, let's publish your book. That's kind of what happened with me. Uh, I think now I know now with what's going on with the pressure of, um, with a lot of things, there's people coming up to me saying we're still, we want to support black, um, writers. Um, and you're right. This, because with, with what's going on right now, this isn't new. It's been going on for decades. I've been feeling it as, as a black person. Uh, Will Smith had said this thing about, yeah, it's been around for years. We're just now recording it. You know, it's now in front of everyone. So I could have written this this year and it would have still came out the same way. I'm more of, there's two ways of approaching it as a black person. You can be, you can approach it um, being very, Defensive. I know not to name any hikers and I'm not going to uh, black hikers that are very defensive about their blackness. And if you say the littlest thing, they're like, you know, if someone would have came up to them and say, Hey, we're glad you're out here. And you would say, why? Cause you're black. That would get them going. You know, for me, I thought it was amazing because uh, people were trying to be inclusive. They wanted me to be out there. No one was being malicious about a black person being out there on the trail. Um, so 
now with what's going on, I've gotten a lot of messages from people saying, hey, you know, we want to share your story at a book club because we want to support Black. And I love that. I love it. I wish it would have happened sooner, uh, but better late than never. Um, I don't know how deep you want to get with it. Um, but I think, uh, once again, the reason why my, my story has, um, I feel people can relate to it is because I don't drill that I'm, I'm black. You know, this could be anyone, it could be any age. Um, but the fact that I was, that I am black and did something out of the ordinary, did something that not a lot of black people do. I think it, it, people can relate because they're afraid to, to live their dream. A lot of people are afraid to do these amazing things. And they see someone that was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. Um, and people are more, I get a lot of messages about people saying, you know, I didn't know your, I didn't know if I liked hiking. I just follow you on Instagram and I just read it. And the story ended up being more than just about hiking. And then I have other people saying, Oh man, now I want to through hike, you know? So it's different, like different, different ways of, 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 of uh, getting uh, whatever out of the, out of my story. Anything, uh, anything you want to share that I haven't asked you that you just feel like you want to get out? I would say um, we live in like some really, really crazy times. Uh, I, when, all, when COVID happened, when we had the quarantine in New York, it was the toughest time for me because at first I thought, hey, I got a month off. That's what I thought. I was like, all right, it's shutting everything down. I got a month. I can start writing. I can do this and that. And obviously it went further. Um, Find, just find that one thing that keeps you going. Um, For me, it was writing. For me, it was hiking eventually once I got to uh, North Carolina. Um, And and stick with it. There's always something positive you can find in a situation like this. And I know it it may sound cheesy, uh, but... I'm from Brooklyn. I, I grew up in not a great environment. Uh, I stepped out of that knowing that I had friends that went the wrong way. And I decided that if I'm going to do anything with my life, I need to make sure I make it positive. Um, so as much as you may hear this all the time, look, I could tell you my entire story. It's, it was not great when I was younger. And now I'm a published writer. Uh, I have magazines reaching out to me to write articles for them. I'm a professional speaker. I do talks every week. I share my story with a passion. Find it. I know you hear that all the time. Look, I didn't know hiking was going to be my passion. There, there was just an open door. There was something I've never done before. Do it. <laughs> even, if, even if you don't think you're going to end up loving it. I didn't think I was going to end up loving, loving it. But if you see a door open, go for it because you never know what's going to happen. This ended up being something so much more than I imagined it would be. Just walk through that door. I promise you things will change in your life. This year was going to be my book tour. Um, I was going to go to towns and do some hiking and meet people and do talks. And because of COVID, I couldn't do that. But now I'm doing it through Zoom. So I've done book clubs. I've done a lot of lives, interviews, podcasts. So I'm reaching probably reaching more people now than I would have if I would have just done a regular book tour. Thanks for listening to this episode of Your Wild Place, presented by Friends of Scotch and Peaks Wilderness. 
For more information about the Friends, visit our website, scotchfrompeaks.org. This episode featured Derek Lugo. It was edited by Henry Jordan. Our theme music was written and performed by Ben Olson and Katie Archer. To purchase a discounted copy of The Unlikely Thru-Hiker, signed by the author, go to dereklugo.com and enter the offer code, all in caps, UNLIKELY10. Derek will be doing a presentation about his book live streaming on Tuesday, November 10th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. To sign up, go to scotchandpeaks.org. Would you like to be featured on your wild place? Let us know by emailing us at info at scotchmanpeaks.org. Never miss an episode by subscribing to your wild place wherever you listen to podcasts.